Welcome, welcome, welcome to an episode of Alika Hope and Change, where I, Alika Hope, am joined by her ever-loving, <laughs> fantastic brother, Emil, also known as Change. Well, Emil, it's June 17th, and I think, does summer start June 20th or June 21st? It's I always like, get it confused. It's like the summer, what is it, the summer solstice? Oh, wait, I just right? The longest calendar. day of the year is always yes. at the beginning of summer. So that's June 22nd, June 21st, that somewhere well, in that neighborhood. My calendar, I have this giant wall calendar. I mean, like giant, like five feet behind me. Um, it says the first day of summer is June 21st. So I guess we can say that the wall calendar knows by Blue Sky. They're pretty famous. So maybe they know. I don't know. Blue Sky, thank you very much. And here's, <laughs> here's why Here's why the first day of summer matters, why it's only four days away for us. Yes. It's yeah. because... You know, the traditional start of summer has often been like Memorial Day and the traditional yep. end of summer is usually Labor Day. But honestly, mm-hmm. if you, you know, the, the kids who were in school now, you know, school has been weird over the last couple of years. Yes. But for the kids who have been in school, these last squeeze out the learning and watch movies at the end of school days are the hardest, best, worst days because you're like, you're restless. You want to get out of school. You want to go. Summer was about to start. We talked uh, a couple of weeks back about our summer camp uh, episode. So a lot of kids are anticipating their summer camps. But really? Yes. Yep. Really? This? This is the part of the deal that I think is joyful. That last squeeze out the days when everybody's Mm -hmm. restless was Mm -hmm. also the most um, joyful anticipation of our youth. Like, you couldn't wait to get out of school. You know, I got to ask you something. Do you like adulting? Because you were talking about youth, and I'm thinking about how people always say, if you could go back to a certain age, what would it be? And I'm always like, I actually love being adult. When I was a kid, I hated being a kid because I just wanted to have the freedom to be an adult. And people around me are always saying, I hate adulting, all the responsibilities, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, really? So I don't know. Am I the weird one? No. Oh, no. Let me tell you, in my opinion, you're doing adult wrong if you have to go back to childhood. I don't ever want to be a child. People say, well, high school was fun. I'm like, high school was not that fun. In fact, Mm -hmm. there are very few memories in my adulthood that I go back to high school and say, oh, I wish I did that again. Right. No, no. Uh, So so the the more I'm an adult, the more fun I have. I have way more fun now than I ever did as a child. Way more. Way more fun. Okay. Because, I, you know, in high school, I did have fun, but I wouldn't say, like, I want to go back. Um, I feel like they, that chapter is closed. And, you know, my mom, <laughs> I love my mom so much, but I was in high school and, you know, I was taller than everybody. And, I mean, I was active in a bazillion things, but I still didn't feel like I always fit in. She said, Alika, the people who peak in high school just feel sorry for them. And that has stuck with me since high school. (laughs) And now I see it. God bless them. I don't want to judge individual people. So we'll just keep them as like a cohort of people. But the people who peaked in high school are often um, not peaking right now. No, just leave it at that. I, I have, I have words for those who peaked in high school. And that is, please don't think that your best years are behind you. Because okay, one of the enough. things I learned was um, to to see my future much more expansively. So mm-hmm. I always look at each year as getting better yep. so that no year I look back and say that was my best. Because if that's my best, then it's all downhill. And I refuse oh, oh, to be on the downhill slope of life. 
you're gonna, I'm falling off a cliff. This thing will never go backwards. It's gonna go up, 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 and then one day, poof. And you'll be like, well, dang, he squeezed every drop out of that life. I'm loving that right now. I have a cup of coffee and I was just thinking about here. I'm looking at my coffee going like good to the last drop. And that I think should be a theme for life. Good till the last drop. Squeeze it all out. Because if you say, <laughs> if you look back, you were like 32. <laughs> you're like, you're exactly right. You know, yeah. um, come on, Lincoln, for real. Like, yeah. uh, if you yeah. if you look back and you were, you're 55 and you look back at right. 32 and said that was my best year ever. That means for the last 20 something years, you've been on the downhill slope. Man, there's no recovery from that. I, I, when I look back at 32, I go, man, I was young. I was mm-hmm. impulsive. Let me take all of that juice, all that energy, all that joie de vivre, and let me apply mm-hmm. it to the wisdom I've gained over those years and make this year even better. There is now, no year I can't make better than the last. I will say in all seriousness to those of you listening out there, if if you are like in your 40s or 50s and 32 is your best year and it's been down year, downhill since then, and I'm saying this in all seriousness, it might behoove you to go talk to a therapist or someone professional, someone in the field of yes. mental health, because yes. there is help available. If you, you know, we're joking and stuff, which is what we do, but also, you know, know that there is help and that um, your best years of your life are not behind you. So just a shout out to people who really are honestly struggling. There is help available um, and and go seek it because no matter where you are, right? I love what Emil said, like there's still somewhere to go and something to do. Uh, especially as people are coming out of COVID because mental health um, issues have skyrocketed since people were locked down so long. So no joke around that. Um, just wanted to just wanted to give that public service announcement for us. Alika, that is that is 100. And I will not only second it, but I will offer this uh, at alikahope at gmail.com. Let us know uh, if you feel like you need to just share this and we will uh, connect you with the appropriate resource in your local yes, community. It is mm-hmm. something that we care about deeply. There are resources, even if you don't have insurance or healthcare coverage, there are resources in your community to uh, connect you to the appropriate type of help that will walk you through some of these challenges that you're facing. And so if we do nothing, we will look up those resources ourselves at mm-hmm. at gmail.com and give you uh, a chance to uh, work through some of these challenges. Yes, and especially because next week um, I will be on a 24-hour road trip back from my destination uh, where I am right now, and I will be on my computer um, typing. Not while I'm driving. Somebody else will be driving. (laughs) Do not worry, listeners. I will not be typing while I'm driving. I appreciate that. No, seriously, I appreciate that. Because there are some of us, and you know who you are, that do type while driving and know Mm, mm, that's mm, not mm, welcome. mm, 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 mm. No, and what's so interesting, though, too, is we all talk about, like, don't text and drive, but people do it because they all think they're special. And I've had to, I'm going to admit right now that I used to do it, not a lot, but like at a stoplight or something, I would like, oh, let me respond to this because I have so much in my day. I don't do that anymore. I've just stopped doing that. And if people get mad, like, well, where were you? Why didn't you respond? I'm like, I'm driving. That's it. You know, Um, or call me. I have a headset, but I've seen too many people. I'll be driving past them on the freeway and they'll be in the left lane. Right. And they'll be either texting or sometimes on their phone, holding their headset, going like 60 miles an hour in the left lane. And it's because they're... You're not meant to be focusing on two intense things at once like that. I just um, I just drove cross country uh, yes. from uh, the D.C. area to Omaha, Nebraska, to deliver furniture for my son who's starting right. a new job. Yeah. And when I was on the road, it's you know I did exactly what you said. No texting. I had my I queue up lots of different lectures and uh, stuff to listen to on YouTube or YouTube mm-hmm. music, and and then when I stopped for you know rest 
rest areas and, and gas and stuff, I would queue up new stuff and then just run it, let it run through. Um, I would take a call, but, but I could answer on my hands free. Point right. being, point being, I saw tons of people who refused to just put the phone down. And well, I'm like, it's scary how many people refuse to just put the phone down. And along those lines, um, when we come back from our break, we're actually going to talk about a time before people could put the phones down because they didn't even have cell phones to drive with. Tell it. And we're going to talk about that time period. In particular, we're going to talk about a show that aired between 1977 and 1985 and actually what a profound impact it had on society and on people's hope for their future when we come right back. Interlude music by Lawrence V. White. We're back. And like I promised, we're going to talk about a time before people could drive with cell phones because they didn't have them. Well, most people didn't have them in their cars. And, um, the time was 1977 to 1985. And before we get into it, Emil, I want, to, I want to admit something. Last week, I was talking about how much I loved The Love Boat and how I really didn't like Fantasy Island. And I said, I gave, I gave Jamie and Emil a homework assignment. I said, let's all watch an episode of Fantasy Island. And so I watched one this last week. And I got so into it that I started doing research. I read an actual research paper somebody wrote in the um, 70s about Fantasy uh, Island. And I realized that when Fantasy Island came out, I was only a couple years old. And even when it ended, I wasn't very old. I think I didn't like it because I didn't get it because now I was watching it and I'm like totally sucked in. I downloaded yeah. Tubi on my TV so that I could watch the episodes. I'm like all about it, all the symbolism. So for those of you who don't know, I was a sociology major undergrad and this is like a sociology major's fantasy come true. It's like a TV <laughs> version of all the research books I read in college and right. I'm like hooked. So I've done a total 180 and today's episode is titled The Hope in Fantasy Island, that is. And we're just going to tear this show apart. So email, talk to me. So I watched a complete episode. Uh, it was called The Searcher from uh, the fourth season or the third mm -hmm. season. It was actually really, uh, sorry, fourth season. It was fourth actually season. very witty and very apropos. And what was so interesting about it for me was, and this is this, this plugs right into your point. Yeah. There was an entire thread about swingers in this huh. episode. And I'm thinking to myself, really? is there, no, there is no way. There is, no, yeah, there is no way that this show did a show on swinging, and it did, and it was very, very well done. And I laughed wow. so hard as I'm watching this, because I'm like, swingers? In a show wow. in, in, from 1982, 1981? Oh, my gosh. And wow. they presented so what, so what it So what were they? So, like, so was it a married couple, or was it oh, like... It was so fascinating. So okay. as a sociology major, you'll appreciate this, right? Yeah, I am the, already. <laughs> the writers, the writers yeah. had had uh, framed it such that the a couple had come to Fantasy Island to rekindle their somewhat rocky marriage. They had okay. truly loved each other, but didn't have the spark. So okay. they so what they did is they wanted to recreate the beginning of their marriage, the first year, back in their small home where things were you know quirky and imperfect, and all of their memories were very. Uh, rose colored if you will and mm -hmm. one of the one of their neighbors was the husband's boss and he was very randy 
he's very, very <laughs> handsy. And, mm. So and we would so say sexual harassment these days, maybe? You, if, would, if you it, would probably okay. say that today. It would be obvious, and I'm looking at it with that lens, that, Mm -hmm. you know, this whole Me Too stuff. And Mm -hmm. I think there is this point where it was smarmy and just gooey, but it was so apropos for the time. The husband, the the wife, is the object of the boss. And and he's like, I really want her. So he's like, I invited a whole bunch of swingers to the island to hang out with you. And if you let me have your wife, I will give Mm -hmm. you the... Vice presidency, I will promote you. And there's this tension that's created from this because the Mm. husband's like, oh, he's just playing. He's not serious. He's always a big kidder. And the wife's like, this dude is dead serious. This dude is dead serious. Wow. And so the tension between the husband and wife finally bubbles to a head. Mm -hmm. And I will spoil the episode since it's over 40 years old. (laughs) And what Um, happened? (laughs) Right. At the end... The husband is at the precipice of seeing his wife given because she's like, oh, you don't believe me? Watch this. Mm -hmm. And so she Mm -hmm. goes in. She goes in full, full bore. She's like, wow. Okay, boss, you want me? Let's go. And they go to a party and it's total disco 70s swingers party. Uh, Not this is with the costumes before they all go to the bedroom. And and they're playing the disco music, which sounds so much like music from an adult movie. And and then. The husband finally finds himself and he's like, oh, my wife is about to be given to another man. Yeah. For me? No way. I love her too much. Smacks the boss. The boss (gasps) is like, finds himself. He's like, oh, man, I don't know what came over me, but you know what? I respect that. So I'm giving you the promotion anyway. Oh, my gosh. All right. (laughs) So, So... It was the best. It was the, that was just one of the two, man. It was the eight. It was, but I love that the whole buildup was so cool. It was so right. much about the sexual harassment and, mm-hmm. you know, put the husband being put in this position where he has to deal with this really handsy boss. The wife yep. is trying to maintain herself. And then, of course, the boss has a lover that is very randy herself and she's coming on to the husband at the mm-hmm. same time. And he's like, stay away from that. I'm not trying to handle that. So what's interesting is he interprets the boss's lover, her advances as yeah. serious. But his wife's Oh, isn't that interesting? Report of the boss's advances as not it. serious. Wow. Isn't that something? Yes. And that is, you know, it also reminds me of that movie um, with Demi Moore. I think she was married to Robert Redford and um, Woody Harrelson offers. No, no, I'm sorry. She was married to Woody Harrelson and Robert Redford offers them a million dollars if he can sleep with Demi Moore. Uh, What was that movie called? Anybody remember Jamie? Emil, you looking it up? I can't think what it's called. uh, I've only seen it like five times. I can't remember. That was called uh, Indecent Proposal. There it is. Thank you. Thank you. Indecent Proposal. Although in that movie... um, they take the money and what it did to their marriage. So it's just interesting. And it destroys their marriage. But yeah, it's yeah. That, that concept of yeah. the boss being, you know, and of course, 40 years ago, when bosses seemed to have much more power over their workers. Yes, yes. And much more power over people's fate in terms yeah. of even their social standing. Because yep. the boss in this in this story, the boss is like, I not only uh, did I invite all these swingers, but they're all board members and people who are very mm-hmm. important in the community. So mm-hmm. now, if you don't participate in this in this uh, uh, activity, mm-hmm. you may not be welcome in your community, not just in the company. 
which actually, side note, it gives a shout out to those people, <clears throat> those listeners in the polyamorous community who at the very least, like, I'm not polyamorous at all. Like, if you're my man, that's it. That's it. It's you and me. And he knows better. But anyway, that's a side note. So, but if you are <clears throat> polyamorous, I have to have respect for people who are honest and they like live that life honestly. And I was thinking about swinging in the seventies, like it was very hush, hush, secretive. And, and um, you know, a lot of things in the seventies and eighties and before were very, very secretive. Right. And right. so think about watching it. In fact, <clears throat> just when you said that, I, you know, you can't believe that they covered it. I was thinking that show in general, I actually went through the seven seasons. As I said before, I got really nerdy about this and I looked at the descriptions of all of them. I went onto Tubi and looked at them all. And there were a ton, a shout out to Aaron Spelling, because there were a ton of episodes that were talking about things that were so um, taboo or like hidden at the time, but people were experiencing or um, doing or thinking about. And the one that I really watched was from season two, and it was about a doctor who he was like the CEO of a major hospital in San Francisco. And he had no time to be a doctor. He was really a businessman. And he wanted to start a computerized healthcare complex. And all I was thinking was like, oh my gosh, like transport to now. And it's like, (laughs) when I tried to call my former health insurance company, which I have no problem shouting out because they're bad, Anthem Blue Cross, um, at least the one here in New England. And I just left them last month. When I tried to call them every single time, it was either computers or people who did not understand the language I was speaking. Um, <clears throat> and no, no offense to them, but, but more offense to the corporation that hired them to save money um, and all of the different sub companies they had just to approve minor things. And I thought, oh, the computerized healthcare complex, that, like fast forward 30 years, right? Like right. I'm watching it going, oh, please don't, you don't want this wish. You really don't want this wish fulfilled. I'm telling you, mister on the TV, he couldn't hear me. But, you know, I was yelling at him like, you really don't want this. I'm telling you. And he was on the island because he wanted to raise 50 million dollars to have this healthcare complex. And I was like, oh, man, if only you knew, if only you knew what people now um, are going through from your fantasy. Um, When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some other themes that come through Fantasy Island that we see now. We come right back. Interlude music by Lawrence V. White. We're back and we are going to talk about some of the themes from Fantasy Island. By the way, before I say that, I want you all to know that you really should check out an episode of Fantasy Island, the, the original episode, and just... You know, um, yes, there's misogyny. There's a little bit of like people talk about racism or at at the very least like um, more um, like aggressive uh, microaggressions like that. The people on the island, the only brown people are the people that like welcome you to the island, stuff like that. I acknowledge all of that. However, if you can watch it in the lens of the time period which it was produced, it is fascinating all the themes like there's a theme of the carpenter in one episode who's transformed into a high society thief, the average man who comes wanting to become a hero. There's the shy guy that wants to become like a Don Juan, a player, somebody who wants to become an instant millionaire, um, an older woman who's successful, but she wants kids, but without a husband. That one was like, I was like, wow, like for that time period, you know, she was, she'd been like a successful singer and all she wanted was a child and she was going to have one without it, without a husband. Without a husband, so she there's, came to the island. Can you there's these different themes in this show are um, 
some of them are very much timeless, right? So yeah. uh, the last great race is uh, is featured in an episode where a divorcing couple agree to race to decide the final settlement of their joint property. Um, like these are things that you see all the time. A woman uh, wants to have the power of invisibility so she can see if her fiance is cheating on her. Um, <laughs> Ooh, which one is that? I missed that one. Oh, that was, uh, let me see if I can find it for you. It is yeah. uh, episode number 69, The Invisible Woman. Okay, I gotta watch that. Uh, and then, and then there's this one that I thought was just just by the write up, was so fascinating. Um, a woman named uh, Marcia regains her youth in order to get back at her husband, whom she is mm. about to divorce. Like all of these Ooh. kinds of timeless themes are wrapped in there. Yes. And to your point, demographically, it was very much you know the standard of beauty was the same. What was very much they were uh, all thin. Very thin, blonde, blue eyed, mm -hmm. for, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure, right? But there's, but there, but inside of wrapped in all of that, mm -hmm. wrapped inside all of that outer covering, mm -hmm. are these timeless themes that are yes. that sort of approach American psychology and American sociology and American culture in broad ways. And yes. what's so interesting is, yes, the brown people were the host and all that. If you ever noticed, Ricardo Montalban always had control over the entire scenario. Which is so interesting because um, in one of the research articles, like I said at the beginning of the episode, yes, I did read some research. Um, the author was, and what was her name? I'm going to tell you her name. Um, Ellen Cedar. And the name of the research article I'm referring to is Love Boat and Fantasy Island Television Utopias. <laughs> um, it's interesting because she talks about Ricardo Montalban as like, also being extremely patriarchal because you know like here's the man um who's running this whole island and he's like the boss guy and he never does anything wrong and he's also timeless because i think i actually have the article here i want to say something from it that he actually says he is personal friends with people like helen of troy and so i was thinking about him his uh, character mr rourke actually like being symbolic of a god figure as such Right. Like, yeah, he he never people tried to seduce him. He never fell for a woman. He was like always in control. He was infallible, very much like this God figure on the island. And that like above and beyond, you know, you, you mentioned like American sociology. I was thinking about just like global sociology, like Shakespearean. It's very for sure. You know, I always bring up Shakespeare on this on this podcast because I love Shakespeare so much. But um, it was very Shakespearean or like Greek tragedy like, you know, the themes in the show. Uh, and I think that's why I started watching it so much this last week. <laughs> no, it, but I will I will hit you with this, uh, yeah. Alika, because there's something in that. So Mr. Rourke actually yeah. tussles with the devil in a couple of episodes. Oh, so, so there's a couple of episodes where um, the devil's played by Roddy McDowell and okay. they actually go toe to toe over the soul wow. of first a guest and then Mr. Brooke himself. Like, so there Whoa. is this very clear, mm -hmm. um, what's the word, analogy that Mr. Rourke in his control effort is playing this godlike figure. And there mm -hmm. is a devil figure who is trying to convince him not to be so good or so uh, noble. And mm. now there's this tension. So yeah, there's, there, there are meta themes playing in mm -hmm. the show that um, to your point about Greek tragedy, that people who often seek the truth may not necessarily be prepared for what comes with it. 
And okay. throughout the show, yes. you would see this thematically happen. Are you sure? Yes. What, is, what is the old saying? Be careful what you wish for. You just may get it. Might You just might get it. Yes. And so then the, the episode, today's episode, is called The Hope and Fantasy Island. So among all these themes, where do you see hope from this show? So me personally, mm-hmm. it, there's there's many layers of hope in the show, but the most important that I will sort of uncover from this from this uh, talk and study and, and what we're doing here is mm-hmm. this concept that if you are true to yourself, there is no fantasy worth changing that for. Everybody wants to, to be yourself, something. Everybody well, can wants you say to be it again, else. Emil? If can you're you true to yourself, that, there's so. no fantasy mm-hmm. worth changing that for. Okay, now explain. So so being true to oneself means that you are living your best life in real time, in this okay. reality. So mm-hmm. people, when they came to Fantasy Island, they always had something nagging them, something bothering them that they wanted to fix. They wanted mm-hmm. to be a champion skater instead of a farm girl. They wanted to be the... So they would never just be fully present in their life because there's always this nagging suspicion that they wanted to be something else. And while there's, mm. good, there's good in fantasy in that way, like... Uh, like we talked about earlier, being a kid and, you know, perhaps during one of our interludes, we talked about being a kid and always thinking that I want to be an engineer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a superhero. Maybe just accepting that where you are right now is your life and saying that this is enough right now, that there's Mm -hmm. no fantasy worth giving that up for. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm. And last week we talked about summer camp and summer camp Mm -hmm. is a chance to indulge a fantasy. Let's do that. But let's not replace our life with a fantasy. That's so interesting because as you were talking, you got me thinking about change and that if there's something that you fantasize about, maybe you need to stop for a moment, pause. And even if you were to imagine your life in that fantasy, say, what is with my life right now that I could actually change Yes. in order to meet the underlying need of the fantasy. So for example, if um, like this doctor who wanted to create this computerized healthcare system because he was spending too much time working on his business and his wife was complaining too, maybe it's that what can you change that's realistic besides trying to find $50 million to start something? In what way can you step back from your business a little bit in order to find some balance? And so the underlying issue is really what the fantasy is about. It's about oh. an unmet need that you have that's underlying Word. the fantasy. And in what way can you realistically meet that unmet need? What? I, 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 I just got hit hard. Alika, you yeah. just came at me sideways with this unmet need. So yes. let, me, let me hit you back, right? Hit me let, back. Me, let, me take, let me take this one step further. Okay. As Fantasy Island demonstrates... Knowing the truth of something doesn't liberate you necessarily. But when you stay in your skin and you understand Mm -hmm. your life, Mm -hmm. maybe you start to see opportunities in the real, in the real time of your life that you overlooked Mm -hmm. because you didn't think you could meet your own unmet need. That is exactly. I agree exactly with that. I'm so blown right now. I'm like, what am I trying to say? What's the language I'm trying to put together? But yes. And I think that, you know, again, like I suggest people watch the show, watch a couple episodes because it might awaken in you 
some kind of fantasy or dream that you had that you um, thought you could never make true. And the one hope in the show is like seeing somebody else's come true, but then they usually end up going back to the life they had because they have some kind of realization of yes. how beautiful it is, um, is something that you, listener, could do also. Uh, in fact, I want to read a quote that I took out of this article earlier this week. I, I saved this to mention today, and I think this is a good time. That the author Ellen Cedar, when she was um, when she wrote again the research article Love Boat and Fantasy Island Television Utopias, one thing she wrote in there which I loved was Fantasy Island simultaneously satisfies and denies utopian impulses. <laughs> right? That's I was like, like, yeah, that's it. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. You get everything you wish for and nothing of what you wanted. Right? <laughs> oh, oh, hold on, hold on. You get everything you wish for and nothing of what you wanted. Right. Yes, that's right. That and is so, that is a great quote. <laughs> that is a great quote. <laughs> and it's interesting too because there'll be millionaires on there who are unsatisfied with their lives. There'll be all these people who some of us, some of us everyday people think like, oh, their life must be wonderful. And then they're on Fantasy Island, and I was like, yeah, see, everybody struggles. Um, I'm going to end there and just tell you a little joke here because I'm taking us out of struggle mode and into goofy mode before we end today's episode. Are you ready? Go. Okay. Emil. Yes. What do you call a tropical island in the dead of winter? Snow Island. Bermuda. <laughs> I will give you that one, sis. That was almost funny. Oh, thank you. (laughs) All right, y'all. You have a wonderful day. And this concludes another episode of Alika Hope and Change. Bye now. 